afternoon. Welcome to the panel on RNZ National. Lavina Good and Liam here with me. Had a lot of response actually regarding sucking sweets on planes. Um, they are there to help with equalising the air pressure, says many. We'll come back to that toward the end of the show anyway. Um, but first to this, an online grocery business, Soupy, uh, has gone out of business after just two and a half years, placed in voluntary administration. The Auckland-based independent virtual supermarket employed 120 people. Soupy founder Sarah Ball said she had put absolutely everything into Supi and was devastated. Recently had big growth from around 20,000 customers in April last year to 55,000 this year. Big growth. It is understood that over the past six months, however, uh, the growth had slowed, leading to a key investor pulling out. Um, Staff were then told they had lost their jobs immediately, would not be getting wages owed for the last two weeks, no annual leave payout. They were devastated. It has once again shined the light on the grocery sector and how to compete with the behemoth. With us is Associate Professor Sergio Biggerman. He's been following this. Uh, Sergio is a Senior Lecturer in Marketing at the University of Otago. Kia ora. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks very much. How do you see this? This news happened uh, yesterday. It's been a big story the last 24 hours. Is this just symptomatic of what some may see as the anti-competitive nature of the grocery sector in this country? Well, the news were uh, sad but not surprising. Um, we, we know that um, the supermarket industry in, in New Zealand is uh, pretty strong. Uh, you know, around $22 billion a year that are shared uh, between only two operators. And uh, uh, it's not news that they have uh, been collaborating very closely. Therefore, uh, a new uh, a competitor uh, would have going to, to face uh, really strong competition. And there are, of course, a lot of reasons, but um, one, one of those uh, is that uh, the, you need to really be able to um, last for, for long enough until you establish a customer base that's going to be stable. And, and uh, regrettably, Suti has not been able to do that. Yeah, I mean, fairly new to two and a half years old. Uh, and again, I mean, that's really big growth. In fact, I think uh, John Duffy from Consumer NZ said it was uh, incredible performance. 20,000 last year, 55,000 this year. But then I was thinking about it in, in context. It's tiny, isn't it? It's a minnow. Yeah, yeah, they, they they were around six million dollars in sales, hoping to 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 get to double uh, this year, and of course, well, it makes pretty much uh, no difference to the supermarkets. But uh, I would not uh, believe they made it any easier to them. Um, it, there are a few things that supermarkets have been uh, able to achieve over the years, and uh, among others, is the power that they have over suppliers. Just remember the uh, Wetbix uh, warehouse uh, issue uh, a couple of weeks ago that um, Wetbix could not sell at the, at the warehouse because the supermarkets were putting some pressure on them. And if, if they are able to do something like that, uh, well, think about these this small um, retailers that are aiming to be competitive. Uh, besides, being only on the online sector is, is really not an easy thing. Um, combination of both online and um, on bricks and mortar, perhaps. 
but only online. Uh, people are, are not necessarily used to, to all their shopping online, and uh, they might have been missing uh, a lot of, of uh, businesses because of that. Yeah, well, I'd like to know, has anyone shopped at Supi? If, if, if any of our listeners shopped at Supi, how did you find it? I haven't met anybody, actually, who shopped at Supi. I'd be interested to hear your experiences. Now, a disclaimer, Lavina, you actually own uh, a supermarket, Brookfield New World. You don't operate it, but it might give us some insights what, how do you see this? Well, firstly and foremost, I feel I feel a lot for the 120 staff at Supi. Yeah, I know their due wages and and holiday pay, and I know what it's like to work in retail. The paycheck literally covers week to week payments, and it's a very demanding role. And there's not much left over at the end of the week. So, my support goes out to them. I'm actually also really impressed with New Zealand coming together. There are businesses and organisations and communities saying that we will try and support those staff as much as possible. I'm also aware of several, or well, at least three or four online grocery retailers in Australia that have closed in the past two years as well that are right. battling to launch throughout a cost of living crisis. And, and the blame game is there, Wallace. Is it the duopoly? Is it the suppliers? Is it investors? Like you can't blame investors in a way, I guess, for not wanting to invest in an organisation or company that is new to New Zealand, I guess, in an environment that that is dealing with a cost of surviving crisis. But my question to Sergio, I guess, is, you know, had Supi's growth slowed at all or is, is it is it the fact that they were just too small or do we need, I mean, I, I think we do need more, more um, competition in the market and to do that, will it, will it just rely on big, big organisations that don't rely on investors because in a way investors make you vulnerable and from... The way I see it, Supri, in a way, has become vulnerable because they didn't have enough investors behind them. Well, that's true. The the, the point is that it's it's. Uh, I cannot think of many business that will will um, make profit in the first two years, and therefore, you need to have uh, enough support to to survive for longer until you know customer base growth. But only online uh, retail, particularly on on supermarkets. Mm. It's, it's something not common because most of the, the savings that someone could have, you know, by not having them store, uh, are just taken by the distribution costs, and therefore a combination of both is is uh, very important. So when the supermarkets, for instance, uh, come down or, or New World offer a, a click and collect, they're not uh, incurring any extra cost. And uh, it's someone that already works at the supermarket that do the picking. But um, Supi had to pay the people only for doing that. And no one was uh, shopping uh, uh, on a bricks and mortar um, store, even though they said they were trying to, to open these people-less uh, stores, like probably Amazon Go. But think of Amazon. The, the size of that organization is, is immense compared to oh, yes. uh, anyone here. Wait. And even sorry, even, even Amazon does have a, a Whole Foods in the United States. So it is still a combination of uh, bricks and mortar. In oh, the I see. Yeah. Eddie says, I haven't even heard of Supi. That's the worry. I would love to support a business trying to break the monopoly, but... I was unaware of them. Uh, Erin says, I've shopped a lot with Supi. Excellent customer service, but small range. They're expanding. Good prices. Sad to see the news. They're no longer trading. Liam, I think you said uh, on social media that what you would like to see is a state-owned grocery sector called Kiwi Shop. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's right. It could be open from nine till four, and you know, closed for two hours for lunch. And um, the, the 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 express checkout would be closed all the time. And you got to you know have all the right paperwork to shop there. That's what, that's that's definitely what the solution is. Be but, quite popular. Um, all, yeah. <laughs> all, all joking aside, though, isn't the isn't the issue really that if you're going to come in and bring competition to the market here in New Zealand, you've got to have the capital to do it, right? I mean, like, so yep. CP's gone into voluntary administration, probably probably liquidation to follow, over $3 million, you know, worth of unpaid, you know, of, of debts. And, you know, in, in, in the scheme of things, like in the scheme of the $22 billion supermarket um, sector here, that's, that's not. Nothing, right? It's um just you know just the idea that such a small player is going to break up or bring competition to such a big market just seems sort of fanciful to me. So my question to Sergio is: is, is it just the case that you know we are going to rely, you know, God forbid that we actually do have a government supermarket, but are we going to rely on some big institutional player uh, being willing to come here and set up and actually with the capital to withstand? those first few rocky years and not to go out of business for the sake of $3 million. Yeah, like an actual uh, competitor along the likes of foodstuffs. Sorry. I I believe the market is not that bad. The the problem is that it lacks transparency. Um, You know, the supermarkets have been for years uh, uh, um, achieving some extra benefits, uh, all these covenants on... on, uh, where you can build a supermarket, where you cannot, or you cannot uh, rent your, your uh, space for three years after a supermarket has decided to close, or um, again, all the power that they, they will uh, uh, are able to exercise on suppliers. I, I believe that some of those benefits needs to be revoked um, because they are hindering uh, uh, the entering of new competition. All right, Sergio Biggerman there uh, from uh, University of Otago, associate professor. He's been following this closely, 17 past four. Can I just uh, come back to you, Lavina, because you do own, own, own a supermarket, and I, I just want to acknowledge what you're saying there. I really, really feel for those 120 staff who they're not going to get their last two weeks' wages. They were told to stop immediately, nothing for them. I also want to ask you, when I first heard of Soupy, um, you know, starting out with a hiss and roar and Sarah was covered everywhere in the media, I thought, wow, uh, that's a big business call to take on, to take on um, the supermarkets and try and even get a small share that's a very bold business decision, business decision to make. A bold and brave and courageous decision to make. Um, but I do believe, I think in terms of New Zealand and everyone talks about the duopoly here, I think it needs to have a bigger person in the market and a bigger organisation that doesn't rely on investors, Wallace, because when you rely on investors, it just becomes too difficult. So I think she's a, a tremendous businesswoman and she did oh so well. And the marketing was great initially, but in the end, I agree with Sergio, the online market is not something that it, it, you can take on. It's very difficult. And in the end, I think there will be more people and more organisations that look to um, attacking this market in a different way. And I think okay. she's very courageous. But my heart and passion goes out to the 120 staff because they work so hard. Mm. And to think that they're not getting paid for the last couple of weeks, I just yeah. think that's horrendous and sad. And I'm really proud of Aotearoa 
for backing those staff and trying to support them because well, they're the ones that need support. I hope they get their pay as Christmas is coming, isn't it? Uh, a soupy shopper here. I love this service and feel sad. It's no longer operational. I love the veggie box offer. Another one here. I would order my boss stocks chicken cutlets for nine fifty versus eighteen bucks for New World. I'm going to miss the savings. Um, another one here. Never heard of it. It sounds like they only sell soup. You're on the panel. Uh, in Z National, 20 past four. Well, there's often a sense in uh, Aotearoa that we are divided into two groups, rural and townies. The two are often pitted against each other, but new research out of Massey suggests this is only a perception and doesn't actually reflect how most Kiwis feel. The research surveyed over 1,300 urban and rural Kiwis to build a picture of attitudes towards farming. With us is Senior Lecturer at Massey's School of People, Environment and Planning, Dr Alice Beaven. Dr Beaven, kia ora. Kia ora, Alice. Well, you know, part of the, uh, if you summarise 2023, a lot of it was uh, the rural versus town divide. A lot was made of it. And here you're saying it's not what we make it out to be. That's right. Yeah. Before we undertook this research, we wondered ourselves, we were hearing about it so much. And when we talked to people around the country, you know, we did hear people saying that they, they felt misunderstood as farmers or that some urban people felt that farmers didn't appreciate their views. Um, But in the research we did, we found that there is no deep antagonistic uh, rural-urban divide in terms of attitudes towards farming, that no matter the demographics, gender, ethnicity, age, location, that people said they value farming for the food it produces and the benefits it brings to the country. And they also had a lot of similar concerns. You know, the two biggest concerns regarding farming, no matter who uh, was surveyed, were two things. One was the environmental impact and the other was the costs. And for, for townies, it was food costs. And for farmers, they talked a lot about the rising costs of inputs. So we found, you know, across the survey that people had these rural commonalities. And the other thing is that not everyone fits into the rural or urban box. No. You know, one in five people said they were a combination of rural and urban. Um, rather than one or the other, so it's all a lot more complex. Uh, so yeah, the rural talking the rural urban divide. New research, Lavina Good saying, uh, not as um, impactful as it was made out to be, and a lot was made of it uh, this year, as Alice says, Lavina Good. I'd just like to let Alice know, no way am I antagonistic. I love the farming sector. <laughs> and it's I just think it's, it's an industry that plays a significant role in not just our country's economy, but it adds to domestic consumption and export markets. And thanks to the farmers, we have high-quality dairy, meat, wool, horticulture. It's something that's so valued. I don't think we've had an issue with the farmers, to be fair. I think, in a way, we might have an issue with urbanites. And lots of us here, I live in the Bay of Plenty and, and we look upon, you know, big cities and go, oh, we don't like the big city, it's not something we like, you know, and I want to head to Auckland or Wellington. But I really feel where where I live, where we are, Alice, that we really love and support the farming sector. So I know that finally you have the stats and the survey to prove it, but deep down we love the farmers, mate. We're mm-hmm. rocking with the farmers. <laughs> yeah, awesome. and I think, I think the majority of New Zealanders agree with you. I think where we do see some work to be done is that people across the board said they love the farming sector. However, we did find that 
valuing the sector doesn't equate to trusting the sector. So there were lower levels yes. of trust amongst urban people um, and also lower levels for those born in New Zealand versus migrants to New Zealand, which was really interesting. So there are definitely trust issues and people said um, they need to feel confident that farmers are doing their bit for the environment. There was some weariness of, of PR spin and people talked about wanting yeah. genuine dialogue. Liam? Yeah, well, you know, I'm from a farming family and um, there's, uh, you know, there's been a lot for a long time said about a sort of rural-urban divide. But I think a couple of things to remember is that, like, the urbanisation of New Zealand, that's it, it's actually not nothing that's really that new. New Zealand's been highly urbanised as a percentage of the population for a, for a long time, like going back over 100 years. But the other thing is is that I, you know, I've never really bought the idea that New Zealanders don't like and trust farmers. Well, well they don't like them anyway at a fundamental level. And the, the farming lobby... Well, the, fa- the, farm- the farming interest wouldn't be so powerful politically if it didn't have, you know, the, the essentially the backing and the goodwill of a large number of county voters, given that we are just uh, just so urbanised. Where I think there is a difference, where there is a, a divide, it's not necessarily between, um, you know, farmers and, and the other people of New Zealand, but farmers might feel, feel that they're alienated from certain segments such as, for example, the, you know, the government, the media, um, those sort of segments of, 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 of city life and um, in the city world, but certainly not in terms of the great mass of the New Zealand people. And so I kind of think this research is a, a good sort of validation of that theory that we've never been We've never right. been as divided as people have made out. Well, that is, that is quite interesting. Damien says, where is that uh, text I want to read? I agree uh, that the feeling is a myth. I'm in rural Auckland and feel it is a made-up issue by political people who fed off the myth. So who's been feeding it uh, then, Alice? Is it us? Well... I mean, a lot of people did talk about the media, Wallace, but I've got to say that uh, quite a few people pulled out RNZ and said, you guys are doing a pretty good job compared with others at getting uh, real stories out and not sensationalising the divide. Oh, well, mm. that's some good news. Good job, then. Alice. There you good go. Job, Alice. <laughs> no, it's really, really interesting <laughs> research, uh, Alice. Kia ora. Thank you very much for your time. That's um, Good to talk with you. Yeah, Thank Dr you. Alice Beban, a Senior Lecturer at Massey's School of People, Environment and Planning. If you're a townie, if you're a farmer, what are your thoughts? Text me 2101. Would love to hear from you, as always. And speaking of wanting to hear from you, um, one of my favourite things is this. We've been doing it for a few weeks, this occasional panel show and tell feature. So the last one we had this, it was quite extraordinary, actually, this green cricket cap and blazer owned by someone's granddad. It was tucked away in the drawer there, who played alongside the great Dom Bradman, I think it was 1931, if memory serves me correctly. What's something that you've got tucked away in your drawer? You don't tell many people about it, but you're willing to tell us about it uh, this afternoon. You can text me at 2101. You can email the panel at rnz.co.nz. 26 past four, Lavina Good and Liam here with me uh, this uh, Tuesday afternoon. Now, it's 31st of October, which means all over the country, zombies, witches, ghosts will tonight take to the streets and celebrate Halloween. Very exciting for many. It's thought to have influences from Christian beliefs and practices. Celtic, some say. Popular, popular activities include your trick-or-treating, costume parties, telling scary stories. So 
trick or treat tonight? Is that a hard no from you or an overhyped fad or one of the greatest evenings in your street? Are you going to pull the curtains or are you going to partake with joy? Round the panel on this, Lavina, you first. Well, Wallace, my three kids are in their late teens um, and it was bigger for them when they were in primary school and intermediate. But here in Tauranga, we live off the beaten track. So every year I'm anticipating someone will come along and ask for a treat. And I thought to myself, last year, I'm not going to offer a treat. I'm going to offer a trick. So I spent about three and a half months um, working out the Rubik's Cube, got on YouTube and I, I narrowed it down from 13 minutes to 11 minutes. And finally, the night before, the night before Halloween, I cracked the Rubik's Cube in under two minutes. And I waited all evening for someone to knock on my door. And finally, someone knocked on my door, a, a, a late teenager. I won't name him because I, I still know him. And I cracked out the Rubik's Cube and I went, Tree! and I went bang, 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 bang. And I tried to do it in under two minutes. I did it in two minutes, 14, so I didn't <laughs> quite crack it. And right at the very end, he said, Miss, I've run out of petrol. Can you give me a lift? And I thought to myself, okay, so it's not really about the trick. It's about the treat. So he hopped in my car. We drove a couple of Ks. We ate about a kilogram and a half of lollies. And I thought to myself, it's not about the trick. It's about the treat. It's about the lollies. It's about the oh, treat. Oh, that is, you know, that, that, this is the first person in living memory, the first person in this country who does, <laughs> who does the trick and not the treat. And we've got you on the panel. What an honour. So you're going to do a route. You're going to dismiss the uh, dismiss the, uh, the, the, the treats. Liam, do you pull the curtains or do you partake with joy in Halloween? Um, well, look, I mean, I grew up in one of those households where, you know, it was very frowned upon to try and, uh, you know, import this American custom. Um, and, you know, like there's still a lot of that out there. But, you know, by the time that I've got four little kids and, you know, like the last couple of years I've just given into it, you know. So, um, yeah, <laughs> our oldest boy will go out with his mates around the uh, little village at Rongatier and, and Manawatu and, I think, you know, um, we're actually hosting a Halloween party for our younger kids, having some of their mates over, and I'll stay away from, just stay away from home until it's done, not because it gets Halloween, just because I don't want to help, but, you know, like, it's just too much <laughs> of a fun, pervasive, popular culture to, to resist it. Like, I understand people don't want to have American things or whatever, but, like, there are some battles that are worth fighting, and there are some battles that you just can't win. And this is one of them. Yeah, just, no. I'm just telling people, lean into it. Just lean into it. It's a rare agreement from me, Liam, because I am leaning into it because I um, have universally hated it for most of my life. I think it sucked. Uh, even when I was younger, I didn't like it. I pulled the curtains and thought, this is stupid. Um, but my little boy, six years old, the joy when he goes past the cold yeah. the sheer yeah. fun in his eyes when he goes past the big spider, it just my heart yeah. my heart melts and all, and all, and also we've made Lavina and Liam we've made some amazing neighborhood friends and it's all been because of Halloween yeah, yeah. and the other thing as well is all holidays have origin you know most holidays are imported from somewhere else to begin with you know like the father christmas the way that he looks like that's from america you know the christmas itself you know, has a has a long, you know, sort of history, and they, things evolve and change. And look, you can't you can't fight 
um, you can't fight the popular culture. You can't fight mm. it. Just sit back and enjoy it. You can't fight it. Sitting back and enjoy it. Very, very good indeed. You're on the panel, RNZ National. Such big response regarding boiled sweets on planes. Thanks, Lavina. We will probably return to it tomorrow. <laughs> Because there are two sides to the story. Um, meanwhile, um, taking you, <laughs> taking taking you into this very joyous message from Alan in Tamaki Makoto. Alan says, "Wallace, we throw water on kids from our balcony when they come for treats." How oh, about, Alan! Yeah, Alan! Alan! Mm. Throw, Alan, go have a shower. Yeah, throw water th- on yourself. Th- Alan. At least throw a dried apricot. You're on the panel, RNZ <laughs> National. <laughs>